Hello and welcome to the Bargain Bin Movie Podcast where none of the players have anything to gain by changing their strategy and only their strategy. What? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bargain Bin Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Rodriguez. And I have to apologize for the late upload. I usually try to get this up um, late Sunday, so that's up in the morning on Monday. But here I am recording Monday evening, and hopefully it gets out today. Uh, I decided to go to a party yesterday instead of doing anything productive. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this week, A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, and Ed Harris. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the IMDb so I don't... So I got a safety net when I brain fart inevitably. Um, I was I was talking about this movie with my parents recently, and I was explaining to them a Nash equilibrium because, like, uh, I hadn't really looked up the exact definition and the the like actual um, official definition or whatever you call it is it involves a whole lot of you know epsiloms and uh functions and crazy math that i have no understanding of but uh the informal definition is basically what i said in the intro it's a non non i'm pretty sure it's non-competitive and it's definitely non-cooperative uh type of game where you or competition i guess where none of the players can benefit at all by changing their uh, strategy and only their strategy and the example that they give in the movie is basically that uh john nash uh crow's character in the movie he's an actual real life person that lived and i don't think he's alive anymore but he came up with the nash equilibrium uh the whole concept of it and it's been used in game theory and wars and lots of other things and you guys can probably tell I, I just read the wikipedia page and um so the definite the example that they give is they're all, all at a party right and there's maybe five guys and there's six girls and there's one girl that's obviously prettier than all of the other ones and so all five guys want to go after the one girl and uh in the movie she's a blonde so i'm gonna call her the blonde Everybody wants to go after the blonde, but if they all go after the blonde and try to dance with her and, you know, spend the evening with her, none of them are going to get a date or a dance because she's just going to be overwhelmed and blow them all off, right? So what they have to do is work together, but not really work together. They have to all agree on a strategy of we're going to all ask out the other five girls and the other five girls are going to say yes and unfortunately the prettiest of the group is going to be left out but too bad and they all get a date and you know that's and they all have a wonderful evening but if one of them changes their strategy to oh okay i'm going to go after the blonde instead then the whole equilibrium is 
is shot because now they're all again fighting over the blonde and none of them get a date because now they've embarrassed themselves. The other five girls and the one girl, the, the blonde is obviously not going to choose any of them because they're all fighting over her. So this is a Nash equilibrium. They None of them can benefit by choose, by changing their strategy and only their strategy. And everybody knows each other's strategy and has to trust each other. And so another one is like uh, two prisoners who, if they rat each other out, if one rats out the other one, then he gets a lighter sentence and the other guy gets a longer sentence. If they both rat, rat each other out, then they get a longer, both get a longer sentence. So they both lose. And if uh, neither of them snitch, then they both just kind of keep serving their same sentence. So there's there's a way that they, if they work together, they both win, you know, quote unquote. Not, nothing gets worse. And then uh, if one of them somehow fakes out the other, then he benefits more than the other guy. So uh, I think the the situation where both of them are loyal to each other and trust each other and don't snitch, then that's the Nash equilibrium. But the uh, the problem is they both want to rat each other up because they want to benefit. They benefit more by uh, snitching and having the other guy not snitch. So that's another example. Um, I don't know. I, th- that that whole concept was was just really cool to me. Um, and I guess maybe because in the movie they kind of related it to dating and any kind of dating advice that actually works or seems to work um, kind of, you know, is interesting to me because every, I know I am categorically just terrible at and all of that kind of thing. Uh, so any help that I can get is fantastic. And, you know, every, everybody says that they're terrible at it. But really, you know, you just have to kind of do it. But, you know, any help is, is fantastic. Um, and then he, John Nash, meets his future wife in a class that he's teaching. Um, I'm not sure how all that works at, uh, I think he went to, went to Princeton or something. It wasn't Harvard, I don't think, but it was one of those super amazing schools. And so he was teaching, you know, not long after being a student, and I think he's still a student at the same time, teaching a lower class, quote unquote. And the first, like the first day, he gives this like ridiculous, unsolvable problem that should take you at least forever to to figure out. And uh, I keep wanting to say Liv Tyler because I think they sort of look similar, and I think they've both been Hulk's uh, girlfriend, Betty Ross. Um, but it's Jennifer Conley. Jennifer Conley comes in and just murders this <laughs> this question, finishes it, solves it in like record time, and he she hands it into uh, Nash and uh, and he's just like, what? That's not possible. You must have made a mistake or something. And he checks it. Nope, <laughs> no mistakes. It's a valid. Uh, solution to the problem and yeah I think after that he pretty quickly asked her out because she's beautiful and like she just showed him up uh, in his field 
So she's super smart and gorgeous. So you ask her out. So he does and they fall in love and they get married. And that's sort of what I compare to uh, the first part of the, this is the first part of the movie. And it's kind of like Fiddler on the Roof where if you ever watched Fiddler on the Roof, like the first VHS, um, yeah, watched it on VHS to begin with. Uh, the first VHS is all like show tunes and, you know, oh, is he going to fall in love with me? Is is my is my husband going to be great? And then, you know, he is great. And then other things happen. Everybody, everybody's just having an amazing time, right? Uh, you know, Tevia is singing about being a rich, wanting to be a rich man and still having fun being a poor man. And he's fighting with his wife, but not really fighting because they're having just some crazy banter. And... Then the second part rolls around after the intermission. I believe Fiddler has an intermission. Um, it always did in our house because we had to change out the tapes. <laughs> and so after that, it just all goes downhill. Uh, the third or the youngest sister marries a guy outside of you know, the Jewish faith and uh, people move away and everything gets all gloomy and then the Nazis come and then this stuff, ridiculous things happen and everything falls to bits. And that's my mini review of Fiddler on the Roof, I guess. Uh, one of my favorite movies, but uh, maybe I'll review it at some point. Probably not. But this is kind of what happens in the second part, right? They uh, sort of... Um, they sort of telegraph it, but not really, to where the there are characters in the first part of Beautiful Mind that you figure out later are not actually real. And it's a little bit sixth sense as well, because you're you're realizing that, you know, these people could have been, you know, figments of his imagination, but we would have never known. You know, and it but it does kind of explain why some people were like uh, a little bit weird around him and why uh, there were some like stray comments about like you know why did you throw your desk out the window and he's like and you're thinking well he didn't it was um, Paul Bettany's character Paul Bettany is one of the figments of his imagination Paul Bettany threw the desk out the window uh, you know Russell Crowe didn't throw it out the window but actually <laughs> Russell Crowe did throw it out the window. And he he doesn't figure this out for a long time and you're so and but it kind of smoothly transitions into all right they got married, he got his degree, I think, and you know, he's starting to come up with his theory and he's you know, he's working on it and he gets a call or like a visit from some government agents and this is where Ed Harris's character comes in. And Ed Harris tells him, you're the only one who can figure out this pattern to what the, the enemy is going to do and, you know, or where they're going to bomb or where they're uh, hiding out or something like that. And so he's got to look at this completely random bunch of numbers and uh, look, if I'm remembering this wrong, it's because I didn't watch this recently. Okay, it's a great movie, though. You should go watch it. I'm sorry I didn't watch it <laughs> recently, but the... um. I'm pretty sure it's like numbers and stuff, and he's just trying to find a pattern. And they have a really cool way of kind of showing it where 
um in this part it's like they get highlighted the the lights or the numbers light up behind them as kind of like they're on a marquee and then uh you know there's this whole like montage and where there, there's like crossfades and crap and is that a crossfade i don't know inter overlaid and transparent and whatever sometimes my anyway the that part he figures it out and he's like all right where this is where they're going to be or this is what they're going to do and ed harris goes and you know nash is correct but and this keeps going you know and he he does this a couple of times but then uh something happens where he ed harris has um russell crowe's character do something that's like dangerous and i think the wife finds out or something and and then you see it from her perspective when she walks in it's her perspective and there's nothing there's nothing going on you know there's no government agents there's no conspiracy there's no neo-nazis i think is what he was looking out for none of that and so he like goes to the hospital or something he i'm I'm now i'm trying to remember where where it goes from there but he and he eventually figures out that you know and there's a because there's a third character that he's seeing uh a little girl and he figures out that this little girl that he's been seeing you know since he was a student and you know he's been married to his wife a few years now this little girl never aged you know and it makes sense maybe paul bettany wouldn't age because the guy's like you know 40 and you don't age much between or he's like 35 so you don't age much between like 35 and 45 right and uh ed harris is like 60 how much is he gonna he's not gonna he's not gonna age much either because he's an adult and you know he looks old already so but a little girl who's like seven years old is gonna age dramatically between you know just over three years so let alone you know five or however long it's been and so he starts to come to terms with this and you know he's getting treatment and but he's like having these outbursts and having trouble with his wife and you know she's like i I can't take it anymore and i think somebody punches a mirror and you know it gets it gets it gets crazy and but the the cool part of this movie and the the true story is that this man who is a genius who has this this uh problem you know a, a mental disability that would you know if i had that that would just completely cripple me you know and it would it would finish a lesser man but he fought against the schizophrenia which is what i don't know if i mentioned that but that's what he had and that's why he was seeing you know people who weren't there and he fought it and he won like he was he's able to control you know his interaction with the the people that he sees that aren't there you know ed harrison the little girl and uh paul bettany and he goes on to like win a noble a nobel prize for you know coming up with the the nash equilibrium which i sort of bumbled through explaining in the beginning and that you know 
that's I, I just thought that was so amazing. And you know, Russell Crowe just gives a just does a bang up job of uh, acting the crap out of this role. And you know, Jennifer Connelly helps him along the way, and and her um, the wife also is just a hero because she stayed with him the entire time that he was having this battle with with the schizophrenia and you know there were a couple of times where i was just like well she's gonna leave and i can't blame her but she stayed and you know that that it was just super inspiring um let's see there's something else i wanted to talk about in relation to this movie and i wrote it down but of course my uh quote unquote wrote it down i put it in my phone um no, that was it. The schizophrenia, the Nash equilibrium, and overcoming mental and physical obstacles to win a Nobel Peace Prize. He's a he's a genius, but also he has this super crippling that well you would think just super crippling um, mental handicap to where it you know if you if you see people who aren't there. And people know about that. They're just going to say you're crazy. And you're. it's going to be really difficult to accomplish anything when everybody thinks you're crazy. You know, you're going to write a thesis and you're going to write a book. And, you know, you're going to make it an amazing discovery. And nobody's going to take you seriously. Nobody's going to read your thesis, your book, your whatever, because you're in a mental institution. You know, your wife is going to read it, maybe, and maybe she can get somebody to read it. But it's going to be very difficult. No one is going to take you seriously because everyone knows that you're crazy. Or they write you off as crazy. But he overcame all of that to to win a Nobel Peace Prize. And I love it. This is one of the few movies that I've bought, you know, after having seen it and loving it. And I bought the Blu-ray because it's that good. And you should watch it. It has my stamp of approval. All right. I'm going to stop talking. This is probably a shorter episode. I don't know. But, uh, yep, nope, I think that's it. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening to me ramble about A Beautiful Mind. Uh, Hopefully next week I will have more. No, I will definitely have more. cohesive thoughts because next week is luke cage no i haven't finished it yes i'm still working on it and yes i took notes so we will talk about that next week and until then bye bye